And you can turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6. We've gone as far as verse 6. As Paul's concluding this epistle to the believers of Galatia. And of course, the emphasis of the theme of this wonderful epistle has been the gospel of grace. And he has been defining and defending grace in the first four chapters that we saw as he gets them established once again in that truth. He started the epistle, if you've been with us in our study, by saying, I marvel that you turn away so soon from the gospel to another which is not the gospel. And as he goes through those chapters, he's reestablishing them in the gospel of grace. And he would say to them that, listen, you've been freed from the law. Don't yoke yourself to legalism, which will bring you once again into bondage. You're to cast out the bondwoman. She's not the heir. You have, because of faith, the spirit of adoption where you can cry out, Abba, Father. And you're saved by grace through faith. You see, the law won't save you. Being circumcised won't save you. Keeping the law of Moses won't save you because the law condemns us as a schoolmaster to bring us to Jesus Christ. And not only are you saved by grace through faith, the just shall live by faith. And Paul, as he has been just establishing them again in truth, uh, we have been established in that. And many of you have personally, you have told me how you've expressed how you feel that and for the first time you're being freed up to just trust in him and trust in the finished work of the cross, in Christ alone, in faith alone, not trusting in performance or some law to, to keep to be justified before God or to earn that salvation or to earn God's approval. And as we have discussed, that as we live by faith and come by faith, that we are to live in a way that we walk with him. Chapters 5 and 6, how do we walk in this grace? We don't get provision for the flesh. We walk in the spirit. And so it's been an incredible study. In chapter 6, as we went over the first five verses last week, that the apostle, giving the believers just um, the, the exhortation, how it is that we can extend grace to others, how we apply grace to the one who is overtaken in a trespass, as we saw in verse 1, how we apply uh, you know, grace to the one who is burdened, verses 2 through 5. And, and now as we pick up our text at verse 6, how to extend grace towards the pastor teacher, the pastor teacher that is teaching the word of God. I need God's grace. And I need your grace. Extend it to me. And then to all men in verse 10. And then verses 7 through 9. He's going to give us godly wisdom. That's very important for us to understand a spiritual principle. As we continue through this epistle. And finish it up here this morning. Verse 6 we do read. Let him who has taught the word. Share in all good things with him who teaches. Father, we do ask that you just bless this time in the study of your word. I pray that we would be teachable. And Lord, that we right now, as we take in the seed of the word, it be planted in our hearts. Lord, we know that this is truth for us. We want to be established in that truth. 
So we just give you this time to study of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we've discussed going through the book of Galatians, that apparently we have seen that the legalists came against Paul and the message of the gospel that he brought, the, the truth of the gospel. And they were attacking not only that message, but they were attacking Paul personally. And we know that that's a tactic that we see today um, in culture and society. If somebody has a message, if you don't agree with that message, one of the things that people do is they will attack the message by attacking the messenger. And we see that in our culture. We see that in politics. We we see that all the time. And they were attacking Paul. And they, the Galatian believers, were all of a sudden at one time where Paul writes, he says that you received me almost like an angel, like Christ himself. You were willing to pluck out your own eyes to give to me, but now you're holding me out at arm's length. Have I become your enemy because I bring you the truth? So they were no longer giving support to the Apostle Paul. So he's writing here, and he gives them uh, this exhortation, this instruction. He's inspired by the Spirit of God. He said, the person who is taught the word, share with him who teaches. So Paul's saying that the pastor teacher who's giving the word of God should be supported. And most Bible teachers and commentators agree that he's speaking primarily financially. And, and that's the primary meeting here. Not limited to just that, but giving in support financially and, and also in prayer and, and encouraging and supporting in any way the one who teaches you the word of God. Now, this can be a little bit awkward for me to teach on. I don't want you to think that this is the opportunity for me to take advantage of it, and you need to give, give, give. In 27 years, we've never asked for money. But I do want to say this. I am very, very grateful for your support financially, for your prayers, for your encouragement, so I can be here to, to teach the Word of God, to be on the radio, uh, the other pastors, Pastor Luke and Pastor John, to be here to teach during the week. And I never want to take that for granted. And I want to say that I am to have the opportunity each and every week to be behind this pulpit, to teach the Word of God, to be on the radio. And we're seeing that lives are being changed and people are coming to salvation as, as we've started 20, you know, 23. And last week on the radio on Calvary Live, uh, prayed with somebody who came to Christ, called from Texas, said that, hey, I know that the Lord's prompting me and I keep making excuses. So I told him, no more excuses, all right? Today's the day of salvation and prayed with them right there on the radio. And it was in, encouraging. It was a blessing. One person, so thank you for your support. Yeah. And thank you for, you know, just the encouragement. Keep praying because we're going to keep giving the gospel. So as Paul was writing to the Corinthians, he would write about the same thing more in detail to grain. And I know that this can be a little bit of a sore spot with some because you turn on the TV, you see the TV evangelist, you see the faith teacher that's become very faith money to me. And they have the, the taking advantage of the people. It's sad to see and it ought not to be. 
So here we have modest salaries, so we can provide for our families and be here to serve you. And to that if you're taking in the word, if you're being blessed and fed and ministered to, then be generous and give to support godly wisdom. This is important, verses 7 uh, and 8 here. And sows that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. So this is a spiritual truth that is for every, is exempt from exempt from this spiritual truth. You will, not that you might, but you will reap what it is that you sow. And just as it's true for the farmer, we live in an agricultural area here in Weld County. The farmer who plants his seed, what he sows, that in due time there's going to be a harvest. So the question is for all of us. As we go to the Lord in the honesty of our hearts, that we can say, what is it that I'm planning? What is it that I'm sowing in my life? Because whatever you sow today, there's going to be a harvest tomorrow. And that's a general application. The Apostle Paul here is he's emphasizing, listen, don't be deceived if you sow seeds to the flesh, it will be bad news. You're going to reap corruption. It's going to be a bad harvest. Don't be deceived into thinking that you won't reap corruption if you're sowing to the flesh to send to the world. And it is foolish to think that, hey, if I do that, that there won't be a harvest. There won't be consequences or repercussions in what I sow in life. I'm going to sow to the world. I'm just going to continue to live for the world or live in this sin or commit sin and be carnal. I'm going to commit adultery, fornication. I'm going to be dishonest. I'm going to lie. I'm going to cheat. I'm going to, to you know, be angry. I'm going to gossip. I'm going to be vengeful. I'm going to continue in this sin, this sinful lifestyle. Don't be deceived. Because whatever you sow, you will reap. And I have talked to many over the years in ministry that all of a sudden they were surprised, they were taken back, that they were reaping the rotten fruit of the flesh when they sin. And Paul says, hey, don't be deceived. Now, you might also be here, and you might be thinking, well, I know that person that is in my life that has caused pain or really stumbles me because it seems like they're getting away with everything. They're living in sin. They're living in carnality. They're even abusive and whatever it might be. It seems like they're getting away with this and that. Nothing ever happens to them. And it hurts. And it's painful to watch. And Asaph, the psalmist, 3,000 years ago, he was struggling with the same thing. And I want to read to you from Psalm 73 because I go back to this psalm whenever I feel like, how can they be getting away with that? How can they keep doing that? It seems like nothing happens in Psalm 73. You can turn there if you want to real quick, but you can read it later. I'm going to read the first nine verses to you. And this is to be getting away with things. It seems like nothing happens to them. They're full of sin. They, they take advantage of others. They rip people off, whatever the case may be. And here Asaph, as he talks about, you know, the wicked and, and, uh, and the, you know, trusting in the Lord in those times, he writes this, that truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slept, for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. 
So he said, I was stumbled when I looked at the prosperity of the wicked, how boastful they are. It seems like they, they're getting away with things as he continues writing, for there's no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They continue to be strong. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak proudly. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walks through the earth. So here they are, these guys that are prideful, do wickedly. They're not in trouble. They're not plagued. Uh, they uh, just continue. They're, they're violent. They to speak proudly. They, their tongue walks through the earth. They, they keep shooting their mouths off. And as he continues, you go down, and I would encourage you to read the whole chapter, but as you go down to verse 16, Asaph writes, when I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me, a lot of us, that we've gone through a season that way. We looked at somebody, how can they be happens? They're not, you know, reaping a, a corruption or anything like that. But here Asaph says something very important. Listen, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end. And he goes on, it's going to be in a slippery place. It's going to cast, you know, be, they're going to be cast down to destruction. They're going to be consumed. In other words, they're not getting away with anything. Listen, as you said, no one's getting away with anything. And we can know that God's word is true, that this principle, this truth that is given to us, that if you sow seeds to the flesh and you're sinful and being carnal and selfish or abusive, we're reminded that they will reap corruption. That there's going to be a bad harvest that's going to come. Not that it might, but it will come. They're not getting away with anything. It's a law of sowing and reaping that is true in eternity's perspective. And it is also true in this life as well. Listen, if you're involved in sin, God's dealing with you about something, stop. And don't picture Paul that, you know, when he teaches this, he's writing this, but I'm sure that he would teach on this to the Christians, that he's all angry in his angry face and, what you know, God is not mocked, don't be deceived, whatever you sow you shall reap. And in, in the Lord's heart, I'm sure, is not saying this to us this morning angrily, but very tenderheartedly. Don't sin. Because you're going to get hurt. And there's going to be a bad harvest that comes up, consequences and repercussions. You're going to reap to the flesh corruption. It's going to take place. And I don't want you to get hurt. I want you to do well. Sow seeds to the spirit of the spirit. You're going to reap eternal life, things of the Spirit. It's going to be well with you. So as we look at this, that if you are sowing in the things of the kingdom, the things of the Spirit, you're going to, of the Spirit, reap good things. If you're being wise with your finances, investing in the kingdom, if you are prioritizing the kingdom in your life, serving others in love, then good things are going to happen. Fruit's going to be produced in your life. If I sow to the flesh, just greedy and concerned about the things of the world and fleshly things and walking in it, then corruption you will reap 
and life will be hard and difficult and consequences will follow. It's a guarantee, not because Pastor Jeff said so, because the word of God declares it. So don't be foolish. Don't be deceived into thinking that there will be no negative consequences if I get involved in sin and continue in sin or react in the flesh. There will be a reaping in due time. Now, here's the encouraging part for you and for me, for those who do good, verse 9. And let us not grow weary by doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So a farmer doesn't sow the seed and then reap the same day, and we understand that. This spring, we'll see the farmers out in their field. They'll be planting the corn and the other crops that we grow around here, and then we'll see them work in the fields all summer long irrigating and and, um, you see that there's uh, taking care of the the plants there's uh, you know work in the soil there's um, all that things that need to take place there's you know pesticides that that perhaps or weed you know need to be taken care of all those things so that there's a harvest and it is the same with our spiritual lives Uh, As we sow seeds of the Spirit, we do what is right and acceptable to God. Our hearts are like soil. Jesus would speak of that parable of of, uh, the farmer who went and sowed seeds among the soil. And may our hearts be like fertile soil to be softened towards him. God would say to his people in Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 3, that break up the fallow ground of your heart and do not sow amongst the thorns. Jesus telling in that parable, our hearts are to be the good soil to where we receive the word of God. It is planted there and it takes root there and then it produces fruit in our lives. We're to water the word of God with, with the water of the word, Ephesians chapter 5. So don't grow weary in doing good. And sometimes, especially in this world, we can grow weary, can't we? We get tired. Things wear on us. The world wears on us. Situations, difficulties, challenges. And I can get weary in you know, sowing seeds, good seeds, and laboring for the Lord. Or I can get discouraged and we think, is it worth it? People come against me and relationships get severed and strained because I'm standing for the Lord or people don't like me or I get persecuted at work. Whatever it may be, we get mentally fatigued. The enemy fights against us. And here Paul knows that. So again, I think he's just being very tender here. He says, don't grow weary. It reminds me of Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles, and they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not fade. And a lot of us are familiar with that verse. Wait on the Lord. Look to him. He'll renew your strength. He's going to help you keep running your race. And we know that as we look to him and as we wait on him and keep sowing good seeds, that in due time, that good things are going to happen. A good crop's going to come up. We're going to experience the blessings of the Lord in our lives. When we say, Lord, I'm going to, you husbands, love my wife as Christ loves the church. I'm not going to be overbearing. I'm not going to be mean-spirited. I'm not going to speak corrupt words. 
But for all of us, I'm going to speak what is necessary for edification. I'm going to raise my children in your ways, Lord. I'm going to plant seeds of the word in the hearts of my children. I want to continue to serve others. I'm going to keep close to the Lord, and I am going to wait on him. And those of you who are single, I'm going to wait on him to bring me a spouse, a godly spouse. You do the right thing. You trust in him. You walk in his ways and keep serving him. And the exhortation and the encouragement here is don't grow weary. Don't faint. So how is it that I grow weary? Well, there's three things I want to give to you that are very important. You can write if you're taking notes in your notes. First of all, lack of prayer. Jesus would say that men ought to pray always and not grow faint. Growing weary has the meaning of you're tired because you've been laboring. You just kind of want to quit. You, you want to, to stop. You want to slack off. You don't want to continue to move forward in the way that God wants you to. I'm weary. I'm tired. It'd be a lot easier if I just kind of give in to the world or I compromise. Jesus said men ought to always pray. He, he wants us to pray, to cast our cares upon him, and that helps us to be strong. So we should be praying to the Lord, be men and women. Lord, help me in the honesty of our hearts. Lord, help me to look to you. I need your strength. I, I'm waiting on you. I need your help. It reminds me of Peter who was walking on the water. We all know that account there in the Gospels. And he got his eyes off the Lord and he began to sink. And he just had time to, to yell out, Lord, save me. And he goes under. And it says that the Lord immediately. He didn't say, you know, I think I'm going to let Peter just kind of sit under the water for a little while. He reached out his hand and he grabbed Peter, which historians call the giant. And he plopped that big fisherman back in the boat. And I know that there are days that we can go through or seasons we go through where we're just feeling like that the storms around us, the, the winds of adversity are blowing against us. That I'm just kind of bobbing up and down. And you just got the energy to say, Lord, help me. And he hears that. And at those times that we're going through just difficulties and we're feeling weak and faint, is a time that we're to be drawing close to the Lord, not withdrawing from him. Men ought to pray always and not grow faint. Listen, here's the good news for you and for me. He invites us to come to him. He invites us to come to him. To cast our cares upon him. To call out to a loving father and say, Lord, I need you. Lord, help me. Lord, I'm going to wait on you. Help me to do good. And he loves it when his children come to him. Just as any of us that are parents, we, we want our children to come to us, don't we? Of course we do. When they need help, when they're feeling weak and faint. The second thing you can write down is we become weary when we're not in the word of God, when we're no longer having devotions, no longer coming to Bible study. And again, I know I'm preaching to the choir, but read your Bible every day. Have daily devotions. Be in the word of God so you can be strong spiritually. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. 
And if you're not in the Word of God, you're going to begin to become weak spiritually. So we need the Word of God. It gives us strength. It grows us. It matures us. Taking in the meat of the Word. And then thirdly, we become weary when we stop being in fellowship with the brethren. And we need to be with the brethren. Keep coming. Keep being in fellowship. Being prayed for, built up, you know. Uh, it, that's what's spoken of in Ephesians chapter 4 and Hebrews chapter 10. Let us consider one another and provoke each other for good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. We need each other because the world is mean out there. And the world beats us up. In between one of the services, somebody was saying, oh, I just want to stay here. Now I got to go to work, you know, and it's just hard, and they just love being here. I hope you love being here and encourage where you can be built up because the world beats us down, where you can be loved, where you can be just exhorted in, in the things of Christ, prayed for. It's important. We need each other, especially in the day in which we're in. And yesterday in our ministry class, we were talking about running our race with endurance. And the writer of Hebrews, as he talks about that race, that we are to run our race, put aside every weight and hindrance, every sin that can easily entangle us and snare us. We don't want to run through life with weights on as we run our race. We know that in the New Testament, even as Galatians has made reference here to running, that we want to run in freedom, we want to run in a way that we're not entangled with sin, with something that's going to weigh us down. So he exhorts us in that, and then he says, what you're to do is that you keep your focus on the Lord. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. we got to keep our eyes on him, because there's a lot of distractions out there in the world that take our eyes off the Lord. So those are ways that we can keep strong and not grow weary. Just keep walking and serving the Lord because a good crop is coming. Harvest, don't lose heart. Do good to all. And then he gets personal in verse 11. See with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. As Paul here is finishing this epistle, it is believed that it was Paul's custom that he would dictate this letter to a scribe. And the scribe would write it down, what he said. And as the apostle is wrapping things up, at this point, I just picture Paul taking the pen from the scribe, and he wrote the rest of the letter himself, the concluding paragraph. Look what large letters, letters I have written to you. Now, it could be because of his eyesight. It is believed that he had some kind of eye disease. He gave indication of that in this epistle. He says, you would have plucked out your own eyes for me and given them to me. It is believed that Paul, he got malaria on that first missionary journey, and it affected his eyesight, and he would have bad headaches, that you would have done that for me. Uh, And it could be because of that, or it could be that he just wants to give this final emphatic thrust to his message. I'm going to write in large letters. I really want to emphasize this. I I, I want to write it with my own hand. Verse 12, as many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, there would compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not suffer 
persecution for the cross of Christ. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. The legalists were telling those Gentile believers, you must get cut, you must be circumcised, and you need to keep the law of Moses if you want to be saved. And they gave the impression that they had real concern for the believers. We really care about you. But their motives were really selfish. They would boast how they got these Gentile believers to be put under the law. It would be a good showing in the flesh. They were seeking that, you know, uh, that they would give a good impression outwardly. Hey, this is how many of the Gentiles that we went over to circumcision, boasting in circumcision. And it would take away from the suffering of the cross alone. As he would write, but God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus, verse 14, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. You legalists like to boast about being under the law, how you have put others under the law. God forbid that I would boast in anything. In me? God forbid. I boast in the cross. He writes, whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. In the previous chapter, of course, he said and wrote about having, you know, crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And I believe that Paul simply is saying here that I'm dead to the world. The world is not going to have influence over me. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, chapter 2. And I boast not in me, but in the cross alone, not in my past religiousness, not in my fleshly efforts, I'm not trying to bring glory to me. It is the power of the cross that has set me free. It was the cross that set you and I free. And we boast in Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul writing to the Corinthian believers he said, I didn't come in, in man's wisdom, but I came in the power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit, determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. We boast in what Jesus did for us. If anyone had reason to boast in religiousness, it was Paul. When we get to the book of Philippians, he'll write, don't have any confidence in the flesh. If anybody had confidence in the flesh, it was me more so than any of you guys. And he's writing that right after he says, those who, who want you to be circumcised, don't give in to that. And as he says, that I gave all that up for the knowledge and true relationship of Jesus Christ who has saved me. And can you imagine, as he says, I boast only in the cross. And if we stand there with the backdrop of the cross, listen, there is Jesus on that cross, body convulsing, bleeding, beaten beyond recognition, crying out, it is finished. How dare we stand there next to the cross and say, look, I'm going to boast of my salvation. Look how holy I was. Look what I did. Look how righteous I am. No, we don't do that. Christ alone in the cross alone in faith alone. 
Because he did cry out, it is finished. And the price that he paid is so incredible. And he says, I boast in the cross only. I boast in Christ. For in Christ, circumcision or uncircumcision avails nothing in the backdrop of the cross. And Paul feels very strong about this. And that's why I think he says, I'm taking the pen and I'm going to write this in large letters. Because I want you to understand this. And then in verse 16, And as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one trouble me. In other words, he's like, I'm done with you guys. For I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. He was stoned and left for dead there in Galatia on that first missionary journey. And brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. What we are to do is walk in the truth, in the grace of our Lord, and the just shall live by faith. That's the book of Galatians. This given to us that we can walk in your liberty, freedom, in faith, and boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. And Lord, as we come to the communion table, the communion table is for anyone who is a believer. Not if you belong to the church, but those of us who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it's remembering what he has done for us and saving us, allowing his body to be broken and bloodshed for the forgiveness of sin. But I do want to pray if there is anyone here, maybe you're watching online that you've never given your life to Jesus Christ ask for forgiveness for salvation right relationship with the Father He is the way He made provision and make an atonement for your sins and the invitation is given for you to come the wages of sin is death there's nothing that you can do in and of yourself to save yourself you will never be good enough none of us Jesus, who lived a perfect life, the Son of God, died in place of you and for you, making atonement for your sins. He was put into a grave. He rose again after three days, and he's alive. And he says, come. Today is the day of salvation. Repent. Quit going the direction you're going and turn to Jesus and call out on the name of Jesus for forgiveness for him to sit upon the throne of your life as Lord and Savior. And you can do that sincerely right now. You can pray, Jesus, I do come to you. I realize that that you provided forgiveness of sin on the cross. So I come and I ask that you would forgive me, a sinner. I believe you died for me. You rose again in your life. And I ask that you be my personal Lord and Savior. I thank you for saving me now giving me the spirit of adoption, bringing me to the family of God. And as I move forward, with you being my Lord and Savior from this point on, help me to walk with you and know you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. And Lord, for all of us, as we partake of communion, that we would just continue in worship and awe of the incredible cross and provision for us. In Jesus' name.